Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and thank you all for joining us. This is Editor's Note, a new subsidiary, a new off-branch of... Yes, complimentary. <laughs> ...from the newsroom, the weekly podcast presented by the Holland Sentinel staff. I am Brian Bernalis. Excuse me, my voice cracked a little there. <laughs> Going through puberty. <laughs> I'm Brian Bernalis, digital director here at the Sentinel, and I'm joined by Sarah Leach, our beloved editor. Hello. Hi. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, each week, uh, at least each week, we try to sit down, Sarah and I, maybe bring in a reporter or two, to discuss about, um, to discuss some stories we've been working on, to give you an inside look at our process um, as journalists, as reporters, um, representing Holland, and um, the stories we write for you, our readers, our audience. Uh, and this week, we've got quite the doozy of a story to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if you want to <laughs> talk about if you want to lead into this. It, it, it's centered around our mayoral um, election, mm-hmm. uh, November fifth. Get out and vote. Yep. Uh, two candidates this year are um, the incumbent Nancy DeBoer and the challenger uh, Nathan Box. Mm-hmm. There have been particular robocalls uh, and mailers. Um, being uh, the mailers obviously distributed amongst Holland residents, robocalls going out to citizens of Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to take it over from there, sure. <laughs> well, we we received tips from readers who were saying that they were they they emailed us and they said that they were receiving robocalls that they felt were. Um, politically biased and um this was it it was done under the the assumption of a of a survey of a poll of of sorts and so uh it's a it's a robo call prompt where you're given a choice and you got to press one or two depending on which you know choice uh you pick and you know some of the language that was used was concerning to some readers because it was clearly uh in in favor of uh Nancy DeBoer who's the current mayor and um not favorable to Nathan Box the challenger and so that was almost a month ago um and we wrote a story and it, it we we looked into who was fi- financing this this uh this operation and it traced back to a group uh, that is affiliated with a legal firm in Okemos, Michigan, and a particular individual who works at that law firm um, is also the incorporator of the group that is putting out the calls. And we wrote a story about it saying, and, and people, a lot of people might not understand, but there's um, certain transparency laws where we know where some money comes from. Right. 
such as when the candidates themselves are raising funds and they get donations from supporters, all of that gets recorded and released to the public. And the problem is, is that when you have a third party that isn't involved in either of the campaigns and they decide to, for, you know, in whatever medium that they choose to make up mailers or robocalls, they can do whatever they want and they don't have to disclose really who they are. Right. And you don't know who's necessarily financing it. Right. And so after we ran that story, we started getting some additional letters and emails about uh, the the physical mailers that you mentioned. And there have been quite a few of them, um, very different ones. Some of them are, are very positive towards Mayor DeBoer, and um, about half of them are very negative toward Nathan Box linking him to a socialist agenda and and to uh, the presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what the story was that we published this week: is what is this group? Where where is this coming from? How is this making people feel? And it was uh, it was quite a journey. Okay, we get these tips on the calls and the mailers. Mm-hmm. In your mind, what's the next step? How do we determine which reporter to – because we do have three, four reporters who could pursue this story from mm-hmm. a variety – excuse me, from a variety of different angles. Right. So how do you determine, you know, who, who do you want the uh, – <laughs> you're, you're a manager, baseball manager. Who do yeah. you want, you know, pitching in the World Series here? Yeah, lineup is important. Um, sometimes it can be as simple as – Somebody who you normally would go to your bullpen for would be is on vacation. We actually had that uh, situation last week where two of our reporters had a couple of vacation days, and uh, there was one reporter who ultimately ended up reporting the story, um, Arpan Lobo, and he uh, was was here through all of it. So he didn't have he was in the office. He wasn't. We didn't have any planned time off for him. So consistency is important because you don't necessarily want to do two or three days worth of work on a story and then have a reporter go on vacation yeah. for five days. Yeah. It, you know, it can, it can be awkward and, you know, information loss happens. Um, but then it's also, you know, who is the best person to be able to interview the people that you need to interview? Um, do they have any kind of particular expertise in researching things? Uh, do they have a light load um, th- of their normal work week where they could accommodate a project such as this? Because something like this does take a little bit of research. And we did have three people working on it, but ultimately our pan ended up writing the, the story. So obviously we want to track down who's behind these calls and the mailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that step? What's that process like if you could talk about it? Yeah, at first we, what we did was because people were contacting us in several different ways, they were saying, well, I have this mailer and it's at my house, but they weren't including an image of it. We didn't actually lay eyeballs mm-hmm. on it. So we had to ask people to send us uh, images so that we knew what exactly it was that we were dealing with. Um, all of them have the same messaging on them in terms of what group is paying for these advertisements that all links back to the same organization that put out the robocall earlier in the month. And a lot of uh, letters have started to come in saying that people are very uncomfortable with this foreign group that they don't understand what it is telling them who to vote for in their own election. And these are supporters of both candidates that just right. are kind of, you know, we don't take too kindly to that yeah. around here in these parts. So um, so what we did was, okay, it, it all get links back to, uh, it says on the mailers that it's put out by a group, Concerned Citizens for West Michigan. 
and when and and there's a, an address, and so when you plug it in, it shows that it's tied to also another organization called Twenty First Century Learning. They all have the same proprietor uh, incorporator listed. Right. Now the problem is that um, if you if you have a a certain uh, nonprofit a five hundred one see what you know whatever number it is uh depending on which kind of a group that you have then you have to file certain paperwork with the state you have to talk about um you know expenditures and uh funds raised and there's a certain amount of disclosure that those kinds of organizations need to make to regulators now if you just if you don't incorporate as a nonprofit then you have a lot more wiggle room to be able to donate money to places and you don't have to account for where the money came from. And so that is what we ran into with this particular group is that they're not a, they're not a nonprofit, so they're not monitored very closely. There's no way that we would be able to find out how much financing went into this campaign, how many more mailers there are, what, what was the, how high it was circulated. So we had to do like a lot of anecdotal uh, research to figure out like what kind of market penetration that we were, were looking at, and then we did some research on you know just some some good old fashioned research where we saw that this group had um, th- this the person who incorporated the, this organization that was funding this this campaign has also done this in previous years. He's gotten yeah. involved in a lot of different mm-hmm. races over the years across the state. There was one that out of Battle Creek that was particularly contentious a couple of years ago. Um, he also got involved with the race when Cindy Gamrat was expelled from the House of Representatives and the special race um, to replace her. She, she re-ran for her seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mary Whiteford, who is still representing that district, um, also was running at that time. This group got involved in sending out campaign mailers during that time period, too. So this isn't the first time that West Michigan has, has seen this kind of thing. And this is becoming very big business in a lot of places during election years. And it's shocking to see for us that, that they would be interested in a mayoral race in a relatively small town. Right. To backtrack, how many people would you say we heard from that received either robocalls or the mailers? Um, I say as of today, today's uh, Thursday, the 24th. I'd say that we've received about 30 okay. to date. Okay. And usually when you receive a letter, I mean, you know, there's a, a little bit of a fast and loose ma- loose mathematical model of, you know, for every person who gets up the gumption to either write a letter to the editor or to leave a voicemail for you, there's probably about 10 more people behind them who mm-hmm. somewhat are affiliated with the same position. Okay. And this, uh, this corporation, well, not corporation, but... I'm not even t- exactly firm. sure. Yeah, it, it, it's incorporated. Uh, it, sometimes they're LLCs or, yeah, right. you know, it's it, it can vary. Um, th- this individual has probably 50 or 60 organizations tied to his name okay. um, that are used for various purposes depending on, you know, what, what the needs are for prob- probably representing client interests. But it's based in Oakmas, mm-hmm. which is about... 25 minutes east of Lansing, right. East Lansing. Right. Um, it's a suburb of Lansing. I grew up in that area. Right. That's no coincidence that it should be sure, so sure. close to the state capitol. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the person who, who I'm speaking about is also, uh, he was a longtime general counsel for the Michigan Republican Party. So he has deep ties to Republicans. That's not to say that they haven't targeted Republicans in the past. However... 
Most of the, the patterns that we've seen is that in general elections, Republicans have not been targeted. Okay. In primaries, they have. So perhaps, and this is sheer speculation, um, wh- whoever's interest that, that this person or group is, is you know, trying to, um, to push, I, I, would, I would hazard a guess to say that they're just trying to kind of maybe eliminate certain individuals that do not represent their interests or to promote people who do represent their interests, right. but from a conservative right. standpoint. Right. Okay. So we've got a good idea of who's behind the mailers. Mm-hmm. Now the next step is to reach out to the candidates right. and get their opinion. Um, that can be no easy task. No, it's, it, it certainly isn't. Uh, uh, if you want to expound on that, yeah. if you would. Well, uh, you know, it's never, both candidates are deeply uncomfortable with this situation right now. That's yeah. that. I, I think that that's an understatement. Um, I think that they're both kind of trying to um, rise above right now, but it, do, it, it doesn't stop us from asking some pretty challenging questions. Um the facts are that we have a campaign that is definitely trying to support one candidate while definitely trying to diminish another one. So you have to ask certain questions about, do you know to the candidate that it's benefiting, which would be Mayor DeBoer, are, you know, do you know where this money is coming from? Do you know um, uh, if, um, if you do know, then, you know, have you tried to stop it? If you don't know, are you trying to stop it? So, so that those how, how does it make you feel that these are being put out on your behalf? Like those kinds of questions get asked. Right. Now, now to the opponent, it's more of a, um, the, the questions get a little bit more fine-tuned about what is your response to being accused of this? And do you think that the, your opponent has anything to do with this? We're, we're obligated to ask those kinds of questions. And, and of course, nobody wants to be asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, and it's not easy. And it's certainly not that we're trying to elicit a certain response. It's just that it, that's just due diligence. Right. Okay. They did anything surprise you from the responses given by them? Did anything catch your eye or were the, were their responses, uh, pretty much what you would expect from a, a, pl- a politician running for office. Yeah. Um, with Nathan Box, I think it's pretty, it was pretty much what I expected. Um, I can't imagine putting, I mean, just, just trying to put myself into his position. I mean, what are you going to say? Um, I mean, you, you, you could say, well, my opponent is involved in this and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if that would, if that would really benefit him at, at this point. Um, so I wasn't really surprised by him just saying, you know, I don't think that she has anything to do with this. Although uh, she she has said that, that he has accused her of being involved in that, which he denies. Um, so that is represented in the story. But with Mayor DeBoer, I think she seems um, genuine in her responses about con- being concerned about what's going on. But she is also asserting that she made a complaint to the state Bureau of Elections uh, to say that you should investigate this. Um, I'm not comfortable with my, you know my name being pu- and and, um, and likeness being put on these mailers mm-hmm. either. Um, the the issue that that we had was that when we tried to verify that information with the state, they had no record of her or anybody from her campaign ever contacting them. Um, 
we went back to her and said they can't find a record of this and she really couldn't account for why that would be and so there's a little bit of a of a of a reaction from her camp saying that somehow the the sentinel has um, inserted themselves into this story by skewing things in a certain way, and that's just simply not true. I, you know, honestly, we have we we've give, given everybody their say. Some things aren't always resolved in stories, like the he said she said stuff. Sometimes you just have to put that put out what both camps say, and you have to allow the voters to decide. And mm-hmm. that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Sentinel reporter Arpan Lobo did speak with Mayor Nancy DeBoer. Here are her comments from their phone conversation. In a very local election, that outside. Um, influence is coming in um yeah i know the grand haven mayor had talked to me this summer about um unwanted stuff happening in their um primary this summer and um i'm like oh wow that, that would be really hard what a mess and i don't think it's anything compared to what's happened here um and so i have no idea what somebody's agenda is it's certainly not helping me at all. I don't think it's helping the campaign. I don't think it's helping the city. I don't think it's helping the um, democratic process. It's not good for any of us. Okay. Um, I I saw on your, uh, uh, because we're we're subscribed to your your kind of campaign emails. um, I saw in a recent one that that you put that, um, that the, that the box campaign had accused you or maybe his supporters had accused you of being behind the campaign. You've come out and you've obviously denied that. Um, was was there a time where because because I, I talked to him recently and he says he, he didn't accuse you of being behind them. Was um, that just supposed to be kind of meant like people from his campaign or was it him specifically that maybe had accused you of being behind this? He said he never said that. Yes. He never that. Yes. Um, do, do you disagree with that? Well, he told my husband that he did not believe us for a second. Okay. Okay. Um, and he accused me of being behind whatever was going on. And um, I said, I know nothing about it, Nathan. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I, I saw also on your website that you reached out to the uh, Michigan Elections Commission. I, because I was doing some research about this like 21st century leadership fund and I found that they uh, have been across the state in a variety of different races from like, from city councils to mayor races to state house of reps. Um, so I, I reached out to them and they told me that they hadn't received any complaints, um, from the, from your campaign or from, uh, about the, uh, 21st century leadership fund. Was there a, do you remember when uh, your campaign made the complaint or what the specific thing it was about? I called the election bureau right after it, they, that first mailer came out to us. I don't know if that was the first that we got in our mailbox. I didn't know it was the first one that came out anywhere. Um, but I called the election bureau. I didn't know how to contact the first century leadership, whatever. People told me that they found the address and it was an empty lot with a for sale sign or something. Um, it doesn't sound like there's much of a way to connect people. I filed a complaint online. Um, I got a call back from the election bureau that I was in a meeting and then I called them back 
and I left a message, and they haven't gotten back to me again. Okay. Okay. Well, well thanks, Mayor uh, Deborah. Uh, I just just to round um, up, we did a little bit of research, and we found that like. The guy behind, um, who, or the guy who's associated to the leadership fund, his name is Eric Doster. Um, does, do you know of an Eric Doster at all? Never heard of him. Okay. Yeah, I Doster? It's like D-O, it's like Doster, it's D-O-S-T-E-R. Cause, cause I've, you know, he used to be, I guess, legal counsel for the state, uh, Republican party, but that was in the past, and so now he, he's no longer, um, with them, but we were able to find his name kind of associated with more and more of these campaign ads. I know, uh, Kate reached out to him when the robocall story was going on and he just de- declined comments. So, uh, I just wanted to know if you knew anything about him. Oh, I, I remember, um, reading that article where somebody declined comment and I don't remember what his name was, but yeah, that I have never heard of him outside of, um, it probably was in that article, but I don't remember that name. But I hadn't heard it before that, you know, before this. Um, so, yeah, I have no idea who that guy is. Okay. And then what would you just say to, like, Holland residents who are concerned over these things kind of circulating? You know, I would say that they're not going to get again for, for taking some time to help me with this Nancy was there anything else you wanted to add uh, before I let you go no I don't think so I you know I hope that people will believe me when I say I have nothing to do with this because I have nothing to do with this okay it's terrible okay well, well thanks again Nancy enjoy the rest of your day yep thanks for calling bye bye yeah. So Arpan writes the piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, we push it on social, Facebook and Twitter. Yep. Did the response from our readers? Uh, were you, what were you expecting people to read this? Um, you, you know, I, I one of my positions or one of my responsibilities is like I have to moderate the comments on Facebook. Sure. Yep. I didn't think anybody was over line, you know, cross that line, you know, uh, maybe one or two you were saying, you know, we're trying to stir something up. Sure. Why don't we, why don't we just report on the politicians, um, um, uh, viewpoints and, mm-hmm. and beliefs. And I, you know, we've done that in the past. I don't know, maybe they've missed those issues or whatever, but anyway, you know, that's kind of standard, you know, blame the messenger kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, what would, from your, editorial perch <laughs> did that uh, did, uh, what were you expecting from our readers 
Well, I think, you know, this particular topic, everybody's uncomfortable and there's almost a unified um, just, just discomfort about like what this shadow group is and what, what their agenda is. Um, so I don't, I didn't necessarily think that anybody was going to come out in favor or, or again, you know, against a, ca- a particular candidate in this race because of this specific story. But I had hoped that it made people think about how it is big business to try to influence votes. And I, I would hope that voters would stop and think a little bit about who might want to do that, what might be the, the gain the, of, of whatever this group is to have a, a, one candidate versus another. I mean, what is, what's the benefit or the drawback to um, supporting or hurting a candidate? I think that voters need to be a little bit more savvy about these kinds of things. And, and frankly, I think I'm, I was pleasantly surprised that we got as many people co- reaching out to us saying, I'm very concerned about getting these things in my mailbox. Mm. Yeah. That made me think that people are more in tune with, like, they're, get, they're getting that, you know, well, what is this? You right. know, they're not just looking at it and throwing it out and just not thinking about it. So I was pleasantly surprised that we had several people who did that. Okay. Do we chase this story or do we let kind of things simmer for a while Hmm. and let what happens unfold and then we yeah i think that it's a common misconception from the public that that newspapers have a set uh agenda or a set um course of action and we really don't um i (laughs) like i right i mean we reported the story and as far as i'm concerned like right as of right now the story is over um i don't Usually when we have a, a story that has big impact, we stop and evaluate, is there anything else that needs to be said? Because sometimes you have a story so big or there are so many different aspects to it that you almost have to do some more com- smaller compartmentalized stories for readers to be able to digest it a little bit easier. You can't throw every, like, you know, right. into one 5,000 word story. Nobody would ever read it. Right. Um, as of right now, you know, the candidates have reacted. Um the the group has been described. The readers are commenting, so I don't see any obvious uh, um, pursuits for follow ups as of right now, unless something else happens. And that's kind of what our job is: is that you know we could think that this is just sort of a, a dead horse, but then tomorrow something different could happen right. and that could change. And yeah. so that's always kind of the it's it's the excitement of, of also being in this industry is that something new happens every day. <laughs> So looking back at it as an editor, would you have done anything differently in how we pursued the story, how you reported the story? Yeah, um, I I don't think that I have mentioned it yet, but we actually had already been working on the story um, prior prior to this week. But I think what ended up forcing our hand is that the mayor had put out a very strong statement about how she was disavowing this campaign and the actions that, and steps that she was taking in order to have it investigated at the state level. Um, and, and that, you know, she was taking a, a very firm stance about, you know, how she's basically being victimized by this too. And it kind of forced our hand to write the story a little faster. We probably weren't going to write it right. until about next week, because like I said, we, we've got two very high profile murder trials going on this week we have um so people are out of the office we've been dealing with vacations with staff members so this never really was the plan but sometimes circumstances 
uh, dictate when public officials or people in power put it out into the public sphere. We have to, yeah. it, it sort of pushes us to do it on a different timetable. Yeah. But I think one thing that I wouldn't change is that we reported the story in a, in the way that, that adheres to the way that we approach just about every story. Starting with a tip, asking a lot of questions, doing the research, trying to understand the issue, getting comment from all affected parties, and then being able to put it all together into a cohesive piece. After we published the story, there was a little bit of pushback um, on social media by the mayor about, well, that that alluding to uh, potential inaccuracies in the story. However, she has not taken any steps to actually say that there is a specific inaccuracy in the story. Um, and so I, I, I stand by the piece, um, you know, to, to point the finger at, at the, at the newspaper to say that, you know, we're calling her a liar or something like that, which is frankly what she said on Twitter. Um, I don't think that that is really productive or helpful in any way because we're not calling anybody anything. Um, the state disputed what she said, uh, that is what actually happened. And I just like to, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you and I are doing this because these are the kinds of conversations where I think that the general reader might not have the benefit of understanding the process um, and, and the conversations that we're privy to that end up on the cutting room floor in a story and they just don't quite understand some of the nuances that, that we do. Right. And I think another misconception from readers um, they get the impression that when we try to reach a political figure, mm-hmm. um, it's pick up the phone, call, it rings twice. Yeah. Oh, they weren't available. Yeah. Hang yeah. up. Oh, and then XXX wasn't available for a comment right. before. Could you discuss that? before we wrap up then uh. yeah i and again you know it's really difficult because this is not a regulated industry um there are not specific rules for certain parts of you know engagement with sources and and how to report but the sentinel specifically does we do have an editorial policy of how we notate when we can't reach sources um if you you're required to reach out to a source multiple times um, and you have to give them a reasonable amount of time to respond. You can't just call them at the last minute right before a deadline yeah. and then just go to press. That's right. just not the way that we do business. So um, what is a reasonable amount of time? It can vary. It depends <laughs> on the person, um, whether or not they're employed, what kind of a you know job that they have. If they're a, some sort of diplomat, you might be waiting several days, you know, Um if it's somebody that's kind of at the corner store, then, then, you know, you probably have a shorter window that you would be able to work with. Uh, and so we just have to make sure that because we are often criticized about those kinds of things, but we have to be transparent in the process. If they didn't, if you left several messages and never got an out of office message, but they reasonably are at their job, but just didn't call you back, you can say did not return repeated requests for comment. Um, if you can't find them, then you say, well, they couldn't be, lo- couldn't be reached. Um, there, are, there are different nuanced ways of notating that. And it's very, you, it's very good to be very specific about the ways that these things happen so that the readers understand that you did your best to get to them. And social media plays a part in that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, because I know in my former reporter days, yeah. uh, before we did have Twitter, 
Right. But, we, you know, you could text if you had a source's number, mm-hmm. boom, a quick text. Um, but I think, you know, we Twitter DMs are available now. Sure. Yeah. I think um, I know that for one of the sources of this story, um, there were two voicemails, at least one text message and at least one DM on Twitter. Yeah. In order to reach one of the people that we had to interview. Yeah. I think that you know, over the course of two days. So I think right. that um, unless that individual is out of town, um I, I think that that is a fairly reasonable window of time to respond for comment. Very good. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add about uh, our story? And I, I hope that this <laughs> is the end of it, honestly, because I, I, you know, just from a personal perspective, I just don't think, I think that everybody's getting hurt in this situation. Yeah. I think the voters are getting hurt. The candidates are getting hurt. It, it doesn't make anybody really look good. So it's really unfortunate to see the community kind of, squabbling over it on that note i think we will wrap it up on behalf of sarah leach i'm brian vernalis thank you all for listening this has been editor's note and we will see you next time just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.